Good morning, everyone. Uh, before we get started, I just want to thank, Cass and I want to thank all of you guys uh, just for welcoming us and supporting us over these past few months. Um, we've met, we're really grateful to have you guys as a church family. Um, so we're, we're really happy to be here and thankful for all of you guys. Um, and I know some of you might be disappointed because Chris Crisano prayed for Pastor Jeff to preach today, but here I am <laughs> preaching. So hopefully that prayer can transfer to me. Um, <laughs> So last time, uh, a couple weeks ago, this is probably three weeks ago now, we, we have been in the book of Judges, but we've taken a couple weeks off. Um, if you have a Bible, you can open to Judges. We're back in Judges. You can open to Judges, chapter 16, we're verses 23 through 31. Last time we were in the book of Judges, Pastor Jeff preached from uh, the birth of Samson. And so Samson was born. Today we are where Samson dies. But a lot happens in between that. A lot happens. Um, I, remember, I remember growing up, I would read, my, my dad would read all of us a Bible story um, at nighttime. And I remember in this one children's Bible, it was a story of Samson, and he's there with his hands against the pillars, and he like breaks the pillars down. And I was like, Samson is an awesome guy. Samson is so cool. And then growing up and reading more, it's like, wow, Sam, uh, Samson was, was crazy. Um, but before we talk about Samson, I think we, just, we have to remember that God put these judges in place to deliver his people, to deliver the Israelites from the surrounding nations who had conquered them, who were, who were oppressing them. So God would raise up a judge, the judge would deliver God's people, and then the judge would eventually, judge would eventually die, and the people of Israel would turn to false idols again, they would um, go against God, and they would be conquered again, and God would deliver up another judge. And as we go through the book of Judges, the judges get more and more evil. They become more and more corrupt. Um, Samson is kind of at the pinnacle of what it means to be an evil, corrupt, selfish judge. Uh, so here we are with Samson. Um, he, he is, if I were to, to uh, characterize Samson with a few words, he is aggressive. He is bent on vengeance. He cares about revenge so much. He is selfish, um, arrogant, uh, and he has this uh, obsession with woman that kind of brings him to his downfall, okay? So he, but remember, when Samson was born, he took this vow. Well, he, he, he was born as a Nazarite to God. And so there were certain vows on his life that he wasn't supposed to break, um, including drinking wine. And Samson breaks all these vows. He drinks wine. He's not supposed to touch dead bodies. And he touches dead animals, and he kills many men. And he, so he touches dead bodies. And then eventually he cuts his hair, which he's not supposed to do. Um, and so, so here Samson is, he's, he, he breaks all these vows, um, and then he's also caught up in this game of vengeance with the Philistines. So the Philistines do something to him, Samson does something back to the, to the Philistines, usually worse than what they, what they do to him. Um, he cares about his ego and power very much. Um, Samson, he also, he single-handedly murders thousands of Philistines. He, he is the cause of murder of thousands of Philistines, not, not in order to deliver them, from, to deliver God's people from them, but more out of revenge and, and his own arrogance and pride. And he also, like I said before, he has this kind of crippling obsession with women, um, especially those who he shouldn't have any relationship with. And that is, that is where we are today, actually. We are, we're at this point where Samson has, has had this obsession, this infatuation with this woman, Delilah. And Delilah, the Philistines pay Delilah to find out where Samson's source of strength comes from. And Samson finally tells her after she, she says, she finally says to him, Samson, uh, if you love me, you'll tell me where your source of strength comes from. And he says, fine, Delilah, it comes from my hair. If my hair is cut, all my strength will leave me. And so this is where we are today. 
Delilah cuts Samson's hair in his sleep. His source of strength leaves him. The Philistines capture him. They gouge his eyes out. They chain him up. And here we are today. Samson is captured, and the Philistines are rejoicing. Um, That brings us to Judges chapter 16, verses 23 through 31. Let's read it together. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once. O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, And he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtael in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. Let's pray. God, you are here right now speaking to us. Um, So would we hear you? Would we hear what you're saying to us? That we might be more like Christ. uh, That we might know uh, the gospel more deeply today. That it is you um, who loves us. That it is not um, what we can do, but it is what you have done. We pray that you would uh, speak this to all of our hearts this morning. Paralysis in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, I don't get to preach often here, but some of the best sermons that I have ever preached have been in the comfort of my own shower. Okay, maybe some of you, maybe some of you like to sing in the shower. Maybe that's what you like to do. Maybe some of you are like, your house is chaotic, there's kids running around, it's messy, and you're like, I'm going to go take just a nice warm shower and relax, get away from the house. Maybe some of you are just like to get in and get out, you know, it's just something you do. But something I do occasionally is I, I preach in the shower. And when I'm, when I'm preaching in the shower, I'm in my element, okay? I feel confident. I put this preacher voice on. Um, sometimes I even find myself saying something, and I'm like, oh, I, I get, like, goosebumps. Like, that was really good. Um, but, but when it comes to preaching in front of real people, and not just in the comfort of my own shower by myself, when it comes to preaching in front of people, whether here or at youth group, I, I get nervous and I get scared. It's a scary thing for me. And I think I, I, it's hard for me to remember who it is that sustains me. It's hard for me to remember who it is that sustains me. And, and this isn't just when I'm in front of people like preaching, it's not just then, but I think whether my life is going good or my life is kind of going bad or it's difficult, it is often hard for me to remember who sustains me, who gives me strength, who is my source of life, where I find my meaning from. And I think all of us, I think all of us can kind of connect with this. I think whether our life, whether your life is good or bad, I think it's often easy to forget that God is the one who sustains you and I. Um, maybe something in your life 
Um, maybe, maybe you're going through intense physical or emotional or spiritual pain. And it's hard to remember that God is the one who sustains you, that he is the one who gives you life because you're just trying to cling on to life right now. Maybe everything is good in your life. Maybe your health is good. You love your job. Your family is doing well. And, and it's easy to be distracted by these things and, and to remember that these good gifts come from God. I, I think all of us find it hard to remember that God is the one who, who sustains us, whether life is good or bad. And in this passage today that we just read, we are going to see what can happen when we miss God as our sustainer, and we're also going to see what it might look like in our lives when we know that God sustains us. So we're going to see, see three things. Because God sustains us, we should know him. You can follow along the notes in your, in your bulletin. We should know him, we should respect him, and we should love him. So first we're going to look at how the Philistines, the Philistines ignore God. They do not know God. If you look at verse 23, if you look at verse 23, it says that the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God. And they, and they rejoiced and they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. So right away, right off the bat, we see just outrightly how the Philistines miss God, how they ignore him as their, as their sustainer. Because they're worshiping another God, right? That, that's easy to see. They're worshiping the God, their God, Dagon. So the Philistines miss God, Yahweh, as their God, as the one who sustains them, because outrightly they're, they're worshiping another God. They're giving thanks and a sacrifice to this other God, thanking him, thanking this God for, for delivering Samson into their hands. But the Philistines don't just miss uh, Yahweh as their own sustainer, as the one who gives them life, but the Philistines also miss God as being the sustainer of Samson. They don't realize that, that what sustains Samson is God. Because if you look actually two times in verse 23 and 24, it says, the Philistines rejoice and they say, in verse 23, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And then it goes on into verse 24. When the people saw Samson, they praised their God, for they said, again, our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. So, so not only do, do the, the Philistines miss God as their own sustainer, but they miss God as the sustainer of Samson because they see Samson as their, as their enemy. They see God as defeated. They see God and Samson as both being defeated. Because I, obviously, the, the Philistines obviously knew that Samson, Samson was a strong man. I mean, he, he had wreaked havoc on the Philistines over and over again. In verse 24, when they say, our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, I think what they could be referring to is a couple of chapters earlier, Samson caught 300 foxes out of, out of just the strength that he had. He catches 300 foxes, he lights their tails on fire, and he sends them into the Philistine grain fields and into their olive orchards to set their resources on fire. And so Samson had, had ravaged their land. Samson had done this. And also it says, not just the ravager of their country, but who has killed many of us. I mean, Samson, again, a couple chapters earlier, out of revenge, Samson takes the jawbone of a donkey and he murders a thousand men with it, which, which seems like a cool movie, but really just out of revenge, this, this does not make Samson a good guy, but this, the Philistines obviously knew that Samson was a powerful man. But they, they were mixed up on where his power came from. Because as, as we were talking about before, earlier in, the, in chapter 16, uh, Delilah, the Philistines paid Delilah to find out where Samson's source, source of power comes from. And finally, Delilah figures it out and they cut Samson's hair off. And, and the Philistines are like, oh, we beat Samson because his hair is cut off. Because his, his power comes from his hair, not from God. They, they don't even think that God 
give Samson any power. They think it comes from his, his hair. And so the Philistines don't just miss God as their own sustainer because they're worshiping another god, but they miss God as the sustainer of Samson because they, they think that his, his power comes from his hair, not from God. And so, so the Philistines ignore God. They don't know God as being the source of strength, power, and might of Samson. And instead, they celebrate as though they have weakened their enemy Samson when in reality, God, who is their real enemy, is very much alive. God is very much alive. And they don't know this. They don't know him as alive. They think they have defeated him. And because, because the Philistines do not know God as the sustainer of everything, of themselves and of Samson, they ignore him. And I don't think, we, we can't act like we don't do the same. Maybe not in the same way, right? Not in the same way. But if, if we truly knew God as the sustainer of all things, of ourselves and of others, um, wouldn't we just desire to know him more and more? Instead, I think we often ignore him because we don't always see him as the one who holds our lives together. It's, it's, it's hard to see God as the one who holds our lives together, who gives us strength and breath and life. But because God sustains us, because God does sustain us, we should know him. We should know him as the one who is alive, as the one who sustains us. See, the Philistines thought God had been defeated because Samson's hair had been cut off. They didn't know God, and and therefore they did not know that unlike their gods, see, the Philistine gods, they were kind of like a give-and-take kind of god. Like we would sacri- the Philistines would sacrifice to their god, and their god would give them something, but they didn't realize that Yahweh is not like that. Even though the Israelites would sacrifice to God, God, God is actually a God of grace and mercy. And he is, he is not limited by outside circumstance. He's not limited by broken vows. See, Samson had, had broken all these vows. He had, he had cut his hair, and he had broken all these vows, but God is not limited by those broken vows. And so I think we have to ask ourselves, do, do we know a God that is limited and controlled by outside forces? Do we know a God who is limited and controlled by broken vows? Or maybe a better way to put it is, do you know a God who is limited by your circumstance, um, by your brokenness, by your doubt? And in life's hardest moments, do you acknowledge a God who still holds all things together? In, in a moment where you feel the most shame, where you feel um, the most broken, do you acknowledge a God who is not dependent on those things, but works in spite of those things? Um, in life's most joyous moments, do you know God who can take and give away as he pleases? He is the giver of everything. See, the Philistines ignored God as though he was defeated, but we know a God who even defeated death through Jesus, despite our sin. So I, what we see here, though, the Philistines don't just ignore God, but they also mock him, okay? And so uh, instead, of, instead of respecting God, they mock him. And I think they, they treat God's chosen judge, Samson, as, as kind of their trophy. They treat him as a trophy. Um, in verse 25, we see, it says, And when the Philistines, when, the hearts, when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and entertained them, and they made him stand between two, the pillars. And then it says, Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. On the roof, there were about 3,000 men. So on the roof alone, there were about 3,000 men and women. And they all looked on while Samson entertained. So probably what this looked like, there was probably a courtyard with two pillars that kind of were the foundation of this house that held the roof up. Um, And Samson was kind of in this courtyard with this roof that went around it, and they all looked down at him 
is probably what this looked like. Um, and, and they're all looking down as Samson is standing there. He's standing there with his eyes gouged out. He's, he's pitiful. He's, he's an embarrassing sight. And they're all watching him. I mean, obviously, I don't think this really sounds entertaining. It doesn't sound entertaining to me. It sounds really sad and brutal and pitiful. Um, but I don't think that the Philistines didn't find entertainment in, in the actual, like, Samson's actual eyes being gouged out and his pitiful look. But I think what they really found entertainment is, is, is in their dominion over Samson and his God. Like, the Philistines, the Philistines did this in order to show their dominion over Samson and his God and to mock them both. And I think, unlike the Philistines, we don't often just outrightly mock God, right? How often, how often do you find yourself, maybe you do occasionally here and there, but how often do you find yourself like making some sarcastic uh, note to God in prayer to someone else? I think sometimes we do, but we don't always do this outrightly. Um, but I think there is a point here to be made about the respect that God deserves. There is a point here to be made about the respect that God deserves. I remember being outside one night at college, this was like three and a half, four years ago, and I was sitting there with a group of my friends, and I'm just having a great time. It's like 8 p.m., it's Arizona, so it's like 75 degrees out. It's really nice. I'm having the best time of my life, and a guy walks by who I see, he has the same Bible. He's carrying his Bible, and I have the same Bible as him. So I say to him, oh man, I have the same Bible as you. And everything just went downhill from there. He, he looked at me, and he said, does yours have duct tape on it? And I was like, whoa, man. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't say this on my head, but I was like, no, kind of sheepishly. I was like, that's not the response. I wanted to you know, rejoice over having this little thing in common. Um, and then I say, no, I don't. And then all of a sudden, he goes, are you a Christian? And, and it was kind of like in this demeaning, condescending tone. And I go, yeah. And he goes, how do you know? And it, it, was, it was just, it was not the interaction I was looking for. Instead of rejoicing, <laughs> I, I just, I felt belittled. I felt belittled and I felt judged by this guy. Um, and I don't say this to drag this guy down, but I think that we have all been this guy at one point or another. I think we've all been this guy at one point or another. I know I have, and I know I still am a lot of the time. Maybe not with the words I say, but I think with my thoughts a lot. I think with all of us, with our thoughts, we can, we can be this guy. We can be judgmental. We can be little. Um, whether it's Christians or non-Christians, I think we, we often judge them with our mind, in our minds, and we think that we know better than them. We think that we know better than others. Um, how often, I think this is, this is just a, a little thing in us that shows that we are often tempted to play God. We are often tempted to think that we know what's best, that you and I, we think we know what is best. I think we, we all, like the Philistines, they parade Samson around as showing that they have dominion over Samson and his God. I think we often parade our theology or our thoughts maybe our political or moral stances around. I think even maybe our adoption as sons and daughters of God, we prayed those things around as, as though we have dominion over God, as though we are God, as, as our trophies. Um, but I think instead of this, I, I think at the same time, while we do this, while we do this, we, we mock God. Maybe not outrightly, but we mock God by saying, I know better than you, and I know better than God. I know everything. Um, but I think instead of this, respect for God looks like humility. Looks like humility under God. And, and holding him as the sustainer of our theology, of our thoughts, of our political and moral stances. And he is even the sustainer of you and I as sons and daughters in his family. He is the one who gives us that. And it's only made possible through Jesus.
So, so as we see, the Philistines, they ignore God as the sustainer of all things, of themselves and others, and they mock God as the sustainer of Samson. Um, and they, they show that they have dominion over him. And, but we are, we, God calls us to know him as the one who is alive and the sustainer of all of us. And he also calls us to respect him in humility under him. Um, but, but now we're here with Samson. Okay, now let's take our eyes off the Philistines for a second. And then verse, in verse 28, now here we are with Samson. And Samson calls upon God. He's calling upon God, right? He says <clears throat> in verse 28, Samson called out to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. I think what we see here, I think it's, it's easy to, to see Samson calling out to God, but I think what we, what we really see here is Samson using God. We don't see Samson loving God genuinely, but we see Samson using God in a way. Um, because actually, I don't, it's four or five times in this prayer that he mentions himself. He says, please remember me, please strengthen me, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. Even though Samson realized, he, he, he says, God, I need you to strengthen me. This is actually only the second recorded time in Judges that Samson prays to God. Before he just kind of assumes that God will strengthen him. Or he just assumes that he will have the strength. Um, but in, in some commentators actually believe that this is kind of Samson turning a new leaf. It's Samson turning a new leaf. He, he realizes his need for God. Um, but then other commentators say that this prayer is just a prayer that sums up Samson's whole life. That it's just marked by arrogance and violence and vengeance. Um, and I think maybe it's a little bit of both. But I think what we definitely see, whether or not Samson recognizes his need for God, which, which I think we do see, he's, he's calling out to God, but he only cares so far as to use God for personal gain, for what he wants. I think finally Samson realizes that God is the sustainer of all things, even his own power, but in turn he doesn't do anything good with it. He only uses it selfishly for himself. And I think Samson shows us all something very valuable here. It is possible to know God and not to love him genuinely. And I think that this is something that is maybe all too familiar to us right now as we sit here today in church. Um, because it's, it's easy to come to church on Sunday. It's just one day a week. It's easy to go to a midweek Bible study. It's, it's easy to pray, read our Bibles. Um, it's good to, to care for people in need. It's good to tell others about Jesus. Um, it's good to love people um, and, and care for them. But I think all these things are good, but we, if we have no love for God, we can easily turn these things into using God. I think I'm, this, this prayer might sound familiar to, to some of us. God... I'm a good Christian. I go to church. I read my Bible. I, I help others in need. Um, so why don't you do this for me now? Won't you do this for me? Or maybe it's, God, I'm a good Christian. I go to church. I read my Bible. I pray. Why, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me? Um, we might love our neighbor because God commands us to. But I think sometimes it's really hard not to expect something good to happen in return. It's really hard not to expect for something good to happen in return when we love our neighbor. I think we can tell others about Jesus. We can invite our friend to church. We can evangelize the people and tell them about the good news of Jesus um, while at the same time seeking popularity and praise from others. I know when I was in middle school, I would post on Instagram a lot, and almost all of my posts would be about Jesus. I would write like these paragraphs about what Jesus was doing in my life. I would be encouraging other people to follow him because Jesus is the best thing that any of us could have. 
Um, and, and I did that out of, out of a love for Jesus, but also nothing felt better than when someone would comment on my post and say, Silas, you're awesome. Like, keep doing this. Or I'd show up to church the next Sunday and they'd say, wow, Silas, great, great job. Like, I bet a lot of people are coming to know Jesus through that. Nothing felt better than that. Um, and I, I think we can, that, that's something in my own life, how, how I've noticed that I have used God for my own personal gain, for something that I want. But I think we can even use and abuse and misconstrue God's own word to bring shame, to bring hurt and captivity and embarrassment to people around us. If we, if we really look at our lives, I don't think we are far off from Samson. Um, we use God too. But if God truly is the sustainer of all things, I am sure that all of us, all of you, want to be a people who genuinely love God. I'm sure of that. A people who don't use him for personal gain or interest, but out of a deep and simple love for him. But how do we do this? I think, I think we can ask this of all these things. How do we know God? How, how do we know God as alive right now? How do we respect him in humility? How do we love him genuinely? How do we do this? Because um, I think, and when I think about this, it, it seems hard to just do this by myself. Um, and I think at the, the end of this passage can give us a foreshadowing of the answer. So let's, let's look at the end of this passage. Verse 29, Samson grasps the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtael in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. I think it's, it's interesting to see what happens at the end of this passage. After reading about Samson and his life that is, that is not marked by anything good. Um, God honors Samson's prayer. And, and when I read this, I'm like, why does God do this? Why does, why does God honor this, this like seemingly selfish prayer of Samson? Um, because it even says in verse 30, it makes a note to say that Samson killed more people in his death than in his life. I mean, Samson killed a lot of people in his life, over, like over a thousand people in his life. And, and, and to me, it's like, why does God let Samson judge Israel for 20 years when he, it, he doesn't even deliver Israel? It doesn't say that he delivers Israel from the hands of the Philistines. The Philistines are, are still a nagging presence to the Israelites. Why does, why does God still choose Samson and honor his prayer, even though it doesn't seem like Samson has any sort of genuine love for God? I think we can, we can ask the same questions about ourselves. Um, we doubt God as the sustainer of all things. We don't know him always as the sustainer, the one who gives us life and breath and strength who gives us our good gifts and is, and is with us and holds us in our, in our most difficult moments. We don't always know him as that. In place of respect, we often mock him. Instead of seeking to know him, we often ignore him. And instead of love, we use him. But I think this, this is the best news that any of us could hear today. I think this is the best news that any of us could hear today. Samson's death brought death, right? Some of Samson's last words were those of vengeance. He said, God, Please honor my prayers so that I might be avenged for the, for the eyes, for my eyes that the Philistines took. 
And actually, at the end of the passage, in verse 31, kind of what we, we talked about already, it says, in verse 31, his brothers and his family came down, they took him and brought him and buried him between Zorah and Eshtayal, in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. At the end of Samson's life, there's no peace. There's no peace for the people. It's, it's again just into the cycle, and the rest of the book of the Judges gets more and more messy and difficult and ugly. There's no peace at the end of Samson's life. But the good news is that Samson is not the one who sustains us. Jesus is the one who sustains us. Jesus is the one who sustains you and I. He's the one who gives us life and breath. And actually, some of Jesus' last words were those of forgiveness, not vengeance. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what to do. Actually, Jesus' death didn't bring death, but it brought life for you and for me. Jesus' death didn't just bring more chaos, but it brought peace for you and for me. I think even though you and I, we struggle to know God as the life giver, even though you and I struggle to know God as sustainer, to respect him in humility, and love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, Jesus, God, is still the sustainer of all things. He is even the sustainer of everlasting, whole, and vibrant life which is given to us only because of Jesus, not because we know him or respect him or love him, not because we do these things perfectly, but only because of Jesus, only because his death brought life and forgiveness and peace. Let's pray. God, we thank you for being the sustainer of all things, even our faith, even our love for you, our respect for you, our acknowledgement of you. We thank you for even being the sustainer of these things because we cannot do it by ourselves. We often find ourselves doubting you, mocking you, thinking that we, we, we know more than you and using you. But God, would you, would you build, it up, build it up in us by your spirit that we might know you as the one who is alive right here today, that we might respect you with humility, that we might love you genuinely, I mean, that we might trust that Jesus is enough, that he is the one who sustains us, that gives us life. We pray all this in Jesus' name.